Asymmetrical Haircuts, Justice Update, with Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. All rise. Hi, Steph. Hi, Janet. Remember last year when we were working our socks off on a series about the Trust Fund for Victims at the International Criminal Court? Oh, God, I remember lots of spreadsheets. And now it's got yet another task on its shoulders because earlier this month, judges in the case of Bosco Ntaganda, who's a big warlord in the Democratic Republic of Congo, ordered record reparations. Yeah, but we haven't had the appeal against a conviction yet. I know, and that's later this week. But meanwhile, the judges got their reparation order in already against Ntaganda, who's been declared indigent, no money, so states will have to dig into their pockets. Yeah, we'll look at that order a bit more in detail later. But first, I wanted to point out another new thing in reparations, and that's a thing that's happened in Iraq. Oh, yes, I know, but mostly because it was in the script and Janet told me all about it. The Iraq parliament passed the Yazidi women's survival law. It's been seven years since the horrific crimes and the genocide committed by ISIS in the northern Shinjar province where the Yazidi live. And there are lots of different bits to this law, like a tribunal. Yay! But I wanted to focus on the compensation, the reparations part. It applied to, and here's the quote from it, every woman Yazidi survivor who was kidnapped by ISIS and later liberated, in addition to women and children from the Turkmen, Christian and Shabak minorities who were subject to the same crimes mentioned. And it also applies to men, quote, who survived the mass killing, unquote. To find out more, Janet spoke to Karine Bono. She's been working in supporting survivors for many years and she explained why this is such an important development. It is very significant because it really recognizes the harm suffered by Yazidi survivors and the very specific crimes of sexual violence or other crimes suffered in Yazidi captivity, uh, which constitute a crime of genocide. And it's clear that the Iraq government really qualify this crime as a crime of genocide and it recognized the arms suffered and the need for reparations and for global reparations. So that's that's why it's really meaningful and very important for Yazidi survivors who still have to rebuild their lives. Okay, so it is a big deal. It's recognition of genocide, recognition of survivors. Corinne's involvement with this is because she works for the Global Survivors Fund. That was created a couple of years ago by Dr. Dennis McQuegwe and Nadia Murad. They're the ones who won the Nobel Peace Prize a few years ago. The fund especially lobbies for access to funds for survivors of sexual violence as quickly as possible, and they work with survivors themselves to find out what they want. Nadia is Yazidi, and she herself survived kidnapping and sexual crimes. So we'll get into the detail of the Yazidi Survivors Bill in this interview, but first Janet asked Karine why this Global Survivor Fund is needed. And as you'll hear, Karine found the question just a bit bizarre because sexual violence survivors get so little justice and almost no reparations. It is needed because because survivors don't receive reparation. <laughs> because survivors of sexual violence in conflicts receive very few justice and almost never reparation. So let's uh, look at this uh, Yazidi Justice Survivors Bill, um, which has different components. I mean, I've, I've read that it has uh, the court's uh, component, but uh, if you can, I mean, even though you're not Yazidi, what is the situation of Yazidis right now in Iraq? Yeah, the situation is, is, is very different depending on, uh, on where survivors live. 
the situation is not the same in the camps. It's not the same in Sinjar. Uh, more and more survivors, Yazidi survivors, are coming back to Sinjar. And there are few initiatives by NGOs to support their reinstallment and, and, and to support them in, in their life. Uh, but so far, Yazidi received very few operations. There have been some initiatives few few months or years ago for some of them to receive uh, a lump sum. But more generally, uh, this, this law really uh, make possible first the recognition of the genocide and the recognition of the arms suffered by, by survivors, and um, also include a, a quite detailed reparation regime. Can you, you say it's quite detailed, can you give me any details? Yeah, so the legislation include different um, forms and modalities of operation. Uh, survivors will be able to receive a monthly pension. They should also be supporting in accessing uh, school and education, which hasn't been possible for many of them uh, after the, their return from the detention. They will also normally have better access to land, where land will be given or, or restituted to survivors to establish their living and uh, their house. This holistic support has still to be uh, precise and implemented. But on paper, this legislation is, is quite innovative and, uh, and includes very important measures for Yazidi survivors. And to what extent did Yazidis themselves lobby or design or, or get involved with this? There is a coalition for just operation in Iraq, who is composed of uh, 17, I think, uh, organizations working with or for Yazidi. And this, this coalition really advocated uh, with international organizations such as IOM, uh, the government to, to have these uh, legislations. There has been also some uh, consultation with survivors in the camps in the hook uh, on the legislation as well. So they were able to give uh, some advice on what they want. So there have been some interactions and uh, it may not have been uh, very broad and sufficient but some voices have been, have been heard. And, and definitely some member of the parliament were more, I mean, closer to Yazidi survivors and able to make uh, important progress in, in, within the draft legislation. Who's going to pay? Well, normally the government, normally Iraq, normally the states, uh, but still he has to, to set up a, a, a commission this commission will be in charge of identifying survivors and organizing all these uh, reparation regime. Now there are elections in October, so we have to see how it will also be implemented, hopefully before that. And what kind of numbers are we talking about in terms of numbers of people and amounts of money? It's very difficult to, to say exactly how many, because survivors also now are living abroad, quite a lot of them. So you can also see now there is a some of them are coming back to Sinjar uh, after having living abroad. It's, it's, it's very difficult to, to have a precise uh, estimation. I mean, we, more or less, we, we, we may think that there are like around 1,000 1, or more than 1,000. Yeah, it's quite difficult. It really depends on how you, you, you define it. And in terms of the amount of money? So the amount of money is the average income. Uh, I don't know exactly how much it will be, but it's based on average income and it's every month. So that's the, 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 the money will be quite, could be quite uh, meaningful. 
And in the title, it doesn't actually say conflict-related sexual violence survivors. It just said survivors. So how does this relate to survivors of sexual violence? Well, that's a big question mark. Uh, It's not really clear today. It is supposed to be survivors of sexual violence, but not only. It could be more than survivors of sexual violence. We don't know also if it includes male survivors, or not. So this has really to be precised by by the decrees and text and, and the commission to be established. So what do you think, Steph? Well, it's a very interesting idea, but what I understand also from Karine is that it's not so clear how it will eventually play out. So it's it's maybe a case of lots promised and then uh, very little for the survivors. So it's something that we really have to keep an eye out what actually this means and if it's not just nice words from the parliament. Now let's uh, head back to the Untaganda case. Uh, ICC judges ordered 30 3-0 million compensation to child soldiers and other victims in that case, and that's the highest ever reparation order at the court. And do you remember, Steph, we had a bit of going backwards and forwards amongst journalists. Did he really say 30 or was it 13? Um, but Steph, could you just do a bit of Stephopedia, remind us what the case was all about? Yeah, I, I was one of the journalists who was asking, was it 30 or 13? Because I was just amazed at how much they were asking and especially the stories we did about reparation we know that the trust fund for victims doesn't have that much so it seems a, a, an astronomical uh, amount but uh, yeah so Ntaganda was sentenced to 30 years in prison in 2019 for murder rape and other atrocities he committed he was the military chief of the Union of Congolese Patriots a UPC militia in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo in 2002 and 2003 or at least that was when the crimes were committed that he was convicted for. Hundreds of civilians were killed and many thousands were forced to flee during the fighting. Let's listen to Judge Chang Ho Chung, who is the presiding judge, who explained what kind of reparations the judges decided to go for in the end. The chamber has concluded that awarding collective reparations with individualized component is the most appropriate course of action in the present proceedings. The chamber reached this conclusion in light of the scope of the case, the potentially large number of unidentified eligible victims, the extent of the harm the victims suffered, and the scope, types, and modalities of reparations the chamber considers appropriate to address such harm in the circumstances of the case. And the judges really seem to have gone for a type of reparations that would have the maximum impact possible and will have to be organized by the Trust Fund for Victims. And they really seem to have taken on board the victims' views that they rejected any reparations that connected to memorialism. Can't even pronounce it. They rejected any reparations that were linked to uh, making memorials and have kind of uh, symbolic places to remember atrocities by. Instead, they were being really practically oriented. The chamber stresses that in reaching this decision, it particularly took into account the victim's wish not to be granted any form of memorialization or other types of symbolic reparations unless they serve practical purposes. And their wish to receive awards aiming at supporting sustainable and long-term livelihood and well-being rather than simply addressing their needs 
on a short-term basis. So I asked Corinne, uh, who also works in this area in the Democratic Republic of Congo, did this also strike her that the listening to survivors was what the judges were really doing? Yeah, and that's really interesting to see how they listen to victims, victim single representatives, and the expert report as well after having spoken with victims. Victims who really wanted some measures that are meaningful to them, that really change their life, that have an impact on their life. So that's why this collective reparation with individual components may include, for instance, livelihood support for projects, for professional projects, may include also psychological and medical uh, support. Something that was really rejected by, by victims is the only symbolic reparation that for them is not meaningful and will not change their life. So that's what they didn't want to relate these, these forms of operations. It also struck me that the judge said, I mean, we recognise it's been two decades since this all happened and it just takes such a long time. I mean, do you think that's characteristic of the way that reparations work in international criminal justice, that they just take forever? Well, the, the reparation regime before the ICC is quite, is quite new and it didn't exist before the other international criminal tribunals. So that's a new regime to be implemented and to be put in place. And the statute really includes very important principles on reparation. What is, has been very lacking until now is the clear implementation of these principles. It really depends on the, on the chambers. It depends on the judges. So, and, and then it, it's very difficult to have a clear understanding on what reparation means for the ICC today. Uh, and how they want to implement it. So yes, so far the experience before the SEC has been quite negative. Uh, the Lubanga case, the first case, um, I mean, the, the, the implementation plan of operation is still ongoing, uh, which is, and, and Lubanga has, has been, has been uh, released. So what does it mean for victims to see the author of the crimes released uh, after detention and that they haven't still received operations? So, Hopefully, the, the, the court will, will really have to, to, to learn from the, the good and the wrong things that uh, the court has been doing so far in reparation. And, and it also showed that it, it may be very important to amend, to change this reparation proceedings to make it shorter and more meaningful to survivors. Because, I mean, in the Antigonda case, yes, crimes have been committed 20 years ago. So former child soldiers now are adults. So you have to completely change your approach on reparation. Yeah, this whole kind of discussion brings back the series that we did for Justice Info and the arguments about whether the chamber, the judges keep getting it wrong and whether the TVF has the capacity to implement these reparations orders. As we said, they have very little uh, in, the, in their kitty to hand out to reparations projects. I think even apart from the kitty, because you can imagine that states would come up with money in the end, it's also capacity to deliver. Uh, it's actually a relatively small organisation, the Trust Fund for Victims. There's a lot of specialists around in the world now who know about how to do reparations, but the Trust Fund is only one small part of it. And they've only been given three months to develop their whole plan to deliver this 30 million. And, you know, that's a big ask uh, to start with. Well, considering they've been behind on Presenting any other plan to the to the courts that month is going to be very tight. So um, let's see what develops with this. But yeah, lots of things that they have to do with very small capacity. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. 
You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development, and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com, and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating, and spread the word.